This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Welcome to the end of session three. Today we have our usual capstone conversation, concluding our journey through the Gospels and reviewing the story from Genesis all the way through John. That's right. Make sure you listen to this. Be treasures and goodies in this episode. I don't know if people are listening to the capstones. They need to. It's required. Seriously, it's so good to like step back every once in a while and just reorient ourselves with the full perspective of what God is doing in the scriptures. You better believe it. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. Um, before we dive into the review, just one quick passing comment. I realized like as I was thinking back on the last few episodes, we're kind of racing to the end of session three here. I was so anxious to keep moving. I, you know, right at the very end, we talked about, I think in our last episode titled The Mountain, we chatted about discipleship. And kind of in passing, I made these big grandiose claims to end our last episode. Um, like what is discipleship and what is discipleship not? And, you know, I'm, I'm really working off of a Jewish rabbinic understanding of what discipleship is. That discipleship is following a rabbi 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's this all or nothing commitment to following a rabbi. We're not doing that kind of discipleship anymore in the church today, in our world. And I have a passionate conviction that it would work. That's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I'm not trying to say. And we're going to talk a lot more about this. That wasn't the end of that conversation. That was the beginning. We're going to talk more about this in session four. We're going to come back at the end of session five and the end of our study altogether. We're going to look at this. But I'm not trying to say that all the things that we call discipleship in the church don't matter or we shouldn't be doing them. Like the church often will talk about what I would call church assimilation as discipleship, like getting involved in a church, like discipling people is getting people connected and then getting people serving and then getting people like leading. And that's all good, but that's really just a church assimilation strategy. I think we should be doing that, like helping people get connected to churches and find faith communities. Uh, that's really valuable. So I'm not saying stop doing that. That's not my point. It's not like we have not advocated for the benefits of being in a community. Absolutely. And, and so, and and just because I don't call it discipleship, I am not on some mission to get the church to quit using that word. Uh, I, I could care less. I, I mean one thing when I say discipleship. I realize that 95% of the world, Christian world in America, is not going to mean that thing. That's okay. That's not my point. My point is, do we understand what Jesus's kind of discipleship was? And are we pursuing that on some level? Church assimilation is great. We call discipleship spiritual formation. We act like a, a one hour on Thursday morning at Starbucks every week is discipleship. Um, that's not discipleship, not in a rabbinic sense. Do, am I am I saying we should stop doing one hour at, on Thursday morning at Starbucks? Goodness gracious, no. We have to do those things. Please keep doing those things. Do all of the things. Do all of the things. What I'm saying is there's one thing we're not doing, and I think it's the thing that Jesus asked us to do. I think we should be making converts. I think we should be making converts. I hate that phrase. Uh, I think we should be out there evangelizing. I think we should be out there assimilating, like helping people assimilate into a church and a faith community. I think we should be out there helping people with spiritual formation. My goodness, these are amazing, worthwhile callings. But I also think somebody out there should be finding the select few, the 1%, the 1% of 1% and saying, hey, Come follow me, because I think the method would still work. But enough of that. We'll talk about that more in session four. But um, anyway, that just 
I wanted to make it kind of go back to that and make sure people didn't go like, wait, wait a minute, are you saying, are you saying this? Are you saying that? And the answer to most of those questions is going to be no, I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is there's something that needs to be pursued. All right. Enough with that soapbox. What about a review, Brent Billings? Let's go back and take a look at the whole story. This is so important because, and we say this every capstone because it's that important, to have an understanding of how the general narrative arc of the scriptures works. Like we need to know how the Bible works, how the story of God's people is laid out. We need to understand what Torah was doing. We need to understand how the judges worked and their place in history and what is the conquest and 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 what about the prophets and where does the wisdom literature show up and 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 why, why is it useful and why did God give it to us and 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 how do we discern like the periods of the prophets and all of those things to understand the silent years and where that falls in biblical history. Like it's after all the prophets, it's after the Babylonian captivity, but it's before the gospels and it greatly shapes the world that Jesus is going to be born into. This narrative arc matters. It matters, it matters, it matters. And so we want to have a basic understanding of how that, um, how that Bible narrative works. And in fact, along those lines, we had a listener, Brent, his name is Roger. Roger from, I believe he's from Peoria area, Illinois. Uh, Roger Schmiggall. No, I just know him as Roger. I've never said his last name. Now I'm saying it out loud on a podcast. So Roger. Always, always dangerous to say yeah, something for the first time out loud on a podcast. <laughs> Roger S. Roger S. Roger S. Money. Anyway, uh, he sent us, he's a listener of our podcast, and he sent us months ago, uh, kind of towards the end of session two, as we got into session three, he took all of our material and he put it in his own graphic representation of a biblical timeline. And so we're going to link that in the show notes because I just love the work that he did. And some people are kind of graph people. We all see information differently. We're all, some people are visual, some people are auditory, some people like lists, some people like colors. And he's taken this and drawn it out in a timeline historical representation. And we're going to link that because it kind of shows the story in a more graphical sense that we're going to walk through. Uh, so that will be in your show notes. It's a pretty cool little chart. And yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to put my hat in the ring. Yeah? My ring in the hat. Yeah, my hat I like in the ring. Okay. You're going to throw your hat in the ring. I'm having a hard time with that uh, analogy. I've, I've misused it several times recently. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it's Roger Schmidgall. I think, the, you, I think you had the D and the G backwards. All right, all right. I like to do that with stuff. But we could both be wrong. All right. Well, Roger can write me an email and let me know exactly how to say his name with a pronunciation key. Uh, so um, we, have, uh, we have that in the show notes. Now, uh, having said that, let's go ahead and review. So we start um, in the book of Genesis. We start with a preface. Did you already mention there's a presentation for this? There is a presentation. In addition to Roger's presentation, little... PDF we have there. We also have a PDF presentation for our discussion today, as we usually do in the capstone lessons. So pull that up if you're not running on a treadmill or driving, and uh, we'll walk through that. Okay? We start with uh, Torah. This begins with Genesis. We have a preface, chapters 1 through 11. And in this preface, we learn that the story is good. And boy, we need to remember that here in the capstone of session three. Like, that's, that is the foundation. That is the bedrock. Um, 
That is, some might even say, kind of the root of the gospel itself. Uh, Some would say, by that I mean me. Um, I would say that's the root of the gospel itself, sitting there in Genesis 1, and, and God inviting us to trust. Trust the goodness of creation. Trust the enoughness of creation. And trust that in ourselves. Of course, Genesis 1 through 11 has a bunch of stories of people that do not do that. And so uh, from there, it leads us right about the moment you're about ready to lose hope, we walk into what we called the introduction. We had a preface, then we had an introduction to the narrative. And that was all about the family of God, people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, chapters 12 through 50, the rest of the book of Genesis. And when we meet this family, the one thing that we are impressed by is they're very human, they're very normal, they're full of failure. And yet, oh, here comes a book recommendation, Brent. Just got done reading a book, How to Survive a Shipwreck by Jonathan Martin. Super great book. It's going to be a book recommendation I have coming up. Um, at this point, by the time I listen to this podcast, you would have probably already seen the book recommendation. But one of the lines he has in there is he says, we may fail, but our faith doesn't have to. Uh, we may fail. And in some parts of the book, he says, but faith never does. Um, and that's what we see in this family. Um, This family survives a lot of shipwrecks, metaphorical shipwrecks in Genesis. Uh, They lose their way. They lose the path, but they always keep leaning back into trusting the story. And because of that, they are a model. Like Genesis has set the stage. It's given us the pieces. It's allowed us to see the things we need to see so that we can talk about the story in the right way. And so then that means that the story can now begin. The stage has been set. We now have the tools. We have the characters. We have the big ideas. And uh, and now the narrative begins. We call the narrative a tale of two kingdoms. We said the whole Bible is going to be a confrontation between two kingdoms, the kingdom of empire and the kingdom of shalom. Empire and shalom. Empire being this idea of fear and coercion and a worldly kind of power and and an upraised fist and a stick and force. And then shalom being invitation and leading by voice and 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 peace and order to chaos and the opposite of 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 empire. And these two worldviews are going to battle. And so that's what happens. We see that immediately in the story of the Exodus, where God has to come rescue his people from empire and lead them into shalom. And he's going to do this through a marriage. So we had in Exodus, we had rescue, we had marriage, and we had tabernacle because God rescues them from Egypt. He takes them to Mount Sinai where there's a marriage. And then after this marriage, he gives them this task of building this tabernacle. Now this tabernacle was in that marriage metaphor the honeymoon suite. This tabernacle was, in a literary sense, a retelling of that Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, That tabernacle was also functionally where the priests were going to work. And that was relevant because God said at the wedding that if they married him, they would be for him a kingdom of priests. And so God said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. And what are the priests going to do? Well, he gives them a tabernacle for them to work at. And then he writes the whole next book about instructions about what they're going to do. And that's the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is the manual for priesthood. And it has a section, it begins with atonement. And then it has a whole section on priesthood. And in the middle of that section on priesthood are all these laws about how the Jewish people are supposed to live because they are going to be a kingdom of priests. When we get done with that section, God says you have to remember to party because if you don't party, you're going to forget that the story is good. And if you forget that the story is good, you're going to lose the plot of the whole thing and you're going to make this all about the rules. 
and, and that's really going to jack everything up. So don't do that. Make sure you party. Make sure you remember. Make sure you return to Genesis 1, no matter what your world looks like. And in the midst of it all, when you get done with the party, it should lead you to taking care of the oppressed, taking care of the outsider. And that leads us into, now that he's told them what this partnership's going to look like, they now need to kind of get to know each other. They kind of know the parameters now. They know where they're headed, but they just don't know each other. So they have to go on a honeymoon. After this marriage, you have the honeymoon. And so Numbers is that desert honeymoon. It's this desert period where the people of God go out and they spend time with their new husband and they get to know each other. And God talks about the things that he learned from his bride at that time in the desert. And then as they come out of the desert and are about ready to go in the promised land, we have the book of Deuteronomy where God asks them to remember. He says, I need you to remember where you came from. I need you to remember the beginnings of your story. I need you to remember the Exodus. I need you to remember the desert. I need you to remember all all the things we've been through and all the things that we've learned. Because if you remember that, you're going to take care of the AOW, what we call them, the alien, the orphan, and the widow. If you remember that you were aliens and you were orphans and you were widows, you're going to take care of the alien and the orphan and the widow. And because you take care of the alien, the orphan, and the widow, they are going to do you a favor. Because you do them favors, they are going to reciprocate a favor and remind you of what's most true about yourself. This shared humanity is going to be this beautiful thing, God says. But then he has now, God has found this partner, and he's going to lead this partner into the crossroads of the earth. And so we have the story of the conquest in the book of Joshua. He's going to put his people at the crossroads of the earth in the middle of everything. He doesn't want them over in the corner. He doesn't want them hiding in the holy huddle. He doesn't want them hiding up in the mountains. He wants them in the Shephelah. He wants them in the middle of it all. He wants them where the chaos of the world meets the shalom of God and a kingdom of priests there bringing that order into the world's chaos. And so that's why God puts him at the crossroads of the earth. And yet in the midst of that, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult. That journey is always going to be full of mistakes. It's going to be full of failure. And yet we see that in the book of Judges. We see a cycle. We see a cycle that many people have called a sin cycle, but we said it's not a sin cycle. We said it's a redemption cycle. And so we talked about the patience of God, the never-ending bottomless patience. As you try to figure out what the mission of God looks like, he has endless endless patience for you. And we needed to be reminded that not everybody was screwing up. Not everybody was making mistakes because we had the book of Ruth. We zoomed in on this love story about a Moabitess and about uh, all these characters that were righteous. The Moabitess was righteous. Ruth was righteous. Naomi, uh, we don't know exactly which way her story was going, trying to do the right thing at many points in her, st- her own story. We have Boaz, who's not cutting the corners of his field, who's following Torah, as well as lots of people around him, by the way, all following Torah. Boaz being generous, being willing to put his own, very Abraham-esque, I might add, very just like Abraham willing to take Yiska. Here's Boaz willing to take this Moabitess named Root. And, and, and that's where God led us into the story, which set the stage for a unique time of history, Brent. So how about you? You take over the review for a little while. I'm going to sit back and uh, enjoy you telling me all about Kings and Chronicles and Samuel and all that kind of stuff. Right. So the Israelites came to this point where they said, uh, we'd rather be like the nations around us. We want a king. And God says... Uh, okay, here's, um, here's Saul. So, so we've got this story that, that starts off and, uh, you've got two different tellings of the story. You've got the Samuel and Kings version, 
and then you have the Chronicles version. And it's the same story told from two different perspectives. So at some point, the the nation is going to divide. The northern kingdom will be the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom will be the kingdom of Judah. And so Israel, their perspective is what you see in Samuel and Kings. And then Judah's perspective is what you see in Chronicles. And Chronicles is actually how uh, in the Tanakh, the Jewish Old Testament, or, or the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, that's how they end the entire book. So Chronicles is looking back on, on everything with a, a documentary perspective. Uh, we've had a chance to think about this and consider this and look at this from all sorts of sides and angles. And this is the documentary perspective. Samuel and Kings is more of an agenda-driven headlines version. It's real-time. This is the the soundbite that you need to understand what's going on here. So we have, in the Samuel and Kings version, we have this focus on immorality and idolatry. You see parts of the story like David and Bathsheba and the subsequent uh, murder, essentially, of uh, Uriah the Hittite. All of those types of stories are going to show up in Samuel and Kings, and you're not going to see so much of that in Chronicles. In Chronicles, the focus is on the lust for empire, the injustice of of what is happening to the people. So you have these different characters in in both stories. You have Saul, who is a donkey herder from the tribe of Benjamin. You have David, who is a shepherd from the tribe of Judah. Very different leaders. David, obviously a significant figure that we see show up later in the story. Then uh, his son is Solomon, and Solomon's whole life was about this lust for empire. He wanted more. And you see a lot of that in Chronicles, how he's counting everything. His perspective is is all about getting more. He goes back to Egypt like he's not supposed to. It's a total mess. And then with the rest of the kings, you see how they mistrust the story and the kingdom divides. And that leads us um, kind of into the prophets. But before we get there, we have a few tools that we have to... Um, use as we're as we're working our way off to captivity. How are we going to get through this stuff? Yeah, no kidding. So uh, we did have tools. We had a bunch of tools. We had um, uh, we had Psalms and we had Proverbs and we had Ecclesiastes. All these things are wisdom. What we call the wisdom literature. Song of Songs is in there. And we talked about how we associated different words with these. Uh, wisdom literature books. Uh, we, we, we said Psalms were songs. And that's exactly what a Psalm was. We said that Proverbs were wise sayings that were generally true. We talked about how Ecclesiastes was a book all about meaning and purpose because you have to have, these are things you have to have uh, if you're going to make it. We said that Song of Songs was about intimacy, uh, dode in the, in the marriage context, sexual erotic love. Um, and these are things that God gives us in order to make it through the struggle because this is pretty, that history that you went through, Brent's kind of ugly business. Like, it's got a bunch of mistakes. It's got a bunch of, of empire and immorality and lust, both metaphorical lust and real physical lust. And, and, and how are you going to make it when, when it appears that the story is so dark? Well, God gives us lots of tools to make it through the darkness. He gives us the light of song. He gives us a little bit of wisdom in the nuggets of the Proverbs. He gives us meaning and purpose and a reason to get up every morning, even though it's dark outside. Uh, he gives us intimacy and relationships that help guide us along our way. So that's the wisdom. And and that's what he gives us. And it does. It leads us to this time where God is now ready to confront this 
people that is beginning to lose the plot. They are losing. If you go back to where we were just a few minutes ago, God had put them in the crossroads of the earth to be a blessing to all nations. That's why they were at the crossroads and they've lost that plot. And so God sends them prophets trying to give them a message. And it all starts with the pre-Assyrian prophets. Before anything is going wrong, before the Assyrians show up, God's sending them messages of warning. Uh, we talk about the, the prophets having warning and woes and hope. And that's what you see throughout the progression of prophetic history. You have Amos and Hosea who come to Israel, the northern kingdom, pronouncing warning. Amos, uh, the image of the plumb line and of ripe fruit. Hosea uses this very visceral image of of a prostitute, his wife Gomer, and, and their relationship to kind of display what the relationship between God and his people is like. And God doesn't leave the southern kingdom alone. He sends them two prophets. He sends them Micah. He sends them the voice of first Isaiah. Micah with the presence of the judge, uh, the, the the emphasis of the judge, and then first Isaiah being the the vineyard and that picture of God's people. And some of them listen and some of them don't. Judah actually listens and Judah repents and 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 that actually staves off the Assyrians. The Assyrians are right on their doorstep. And under the leadership of Hezekiah, they actually are able to uh, to woo God's rescue into their story. Uh, the the Israelites, of course, they don't listen. And so they, they end up being crushed by the Assyrians. And so God sends prophets during that period of time, uh, two prophets to Israel, who have now been crushed by Assyria, asking a whole bunch of questions. God sends them Jonah, and he sends them Nahum. Uh, Yonah is sent in order to answer the question, why doesn't God just destroy the Assyrians? I mean, they're, they're pretty bad people. Yes, the Israelites have made a lot of mistakes. Yes, they've lost the plot of the story. But my goodness, the Assyrians are anything but like a tepid group of people. They're brutal and disgusting in a lot of ways and very imperial. So why isn't God saving them? Well, Jonah's emphasis is on potential. Potential was his theme. And yet on the other hand, it's like, okay, so because of potential, God's never going to do anything. And that's when Nahum shows up and says, no, of course not. That's the other side of the coin. Nahum says, God, of course, is going to stand up for justice. He's, of course, is going to stand up for shalom. He will render justice, but we have to wait for his timing and his wisdom because we don't know how to do that. And in the meantime, Judah's beginning to lose their way again. It doesn't take them long after Hezekiah to lose their way. And so God sends them Zephaniah. Zephaniah has a message, the Hebrew word shuvah, repent. Now, he doesn't use that word a ton in the prophecy of Zephaniah, but that word encapsulates what Zephaniah's message is, a message of repentance or a message of returning. Come back to the plot. Come back to the story that God wants to tell through you. And then second Isaiah super dark part of Isaiah, just full of woes, just lots and lots of woes in Isaiah. And that, of course, leads to Babylon, because while Assyria has been kind of conquering the earth, Babylon's been sitting in the background, and now they make their, uh, they storm the world and take the world by storm, and they basically leave no stone unturned in the destruction that they bring. And so God sends them prophets throughout that whole, that that conquest, the Babylonian conquest is one that takes years and years and years, decades to complete. And so you have all these prophets coming into that story. I have this note here the contrast of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Assyria wanted to destroy you. Babylon wanted to humiliate you. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Uh, they, they were going to make a message. They weren't just going to dominate you. They were going to send a message to anybody around uh, because they wanted to get your surrender rather than war was evolving 
sociopolitical strategy was evolving, and that's what we saw with the Babylonians. So into that context, God sends prophets like Jeremiah and Lamentations, and Jeremiah being the weeping prophet, Lamentations being this short little book that's all about lament, but it also had this hope buried at its chiastic center because it was this alphabetic chiastic acrostic. Um, and then we had Habakkuk, and we had o- Ovadja, and we had Joel, and and they all had their own prophetic Im- images and messages. Habakkuk's message was that of a watchtower, and and Obadiah's message was a message of Petra, that picture of Petra written to Edom, um, saying, "Hey, you live in this rock fortress, but you're not as safe as you think you are." Uh, Joel he had a message of a locust plague, and of course, by the time we get done with the Babylonian prophets, everything is laid waste, just like Joel said. Joel said, "Look around you, look at what the locusts have taken. They've taken everything." Um, and, and so now we enter into the period of the prophets, which is exilic, while, while God's people sit in exile, and God sends them people like Ezekiel, who has a message of strength, trying to strengthen God's people in the midst of despair. Uh, people like Daniel, the image of the Son of Man and a message of perseverance. Uh, the story of Job, which probably is actually wisdom literature, and yet I think was used very prophetically during the uh, Babylonian exile, so we made it a Babylonian prophet on our table here. The story of Job, which was all about perspective. Uh, We had third Isaiah, which is all about the servant, the servant discourse. If you're willing to sit in exile and persevere and pay the price because you suffer, your children aren't going to have to, which leads us into the remnant period. And that's where some of that hope has began to be realized. And yet it's not full of just, we said it was about learning and yearning and returning. And I think I got those out of order. I think we said it was about returning and yearning and learning if we got that uh, order correct. It was about getting back home and then yearning for what, what it used to be and then learning from all those things that you've been through. And so in the midst of that whole process comes all the rest of our uh, our Hebrew prophets. Uh, and some of them come in, the, in stories like Esther. Esther is the story of Purim. And what do you do when you don't go back home, when you actually stay in Persia? What does that look like to stay in Persia and to make a difference? Um, we talked about Ezra and Nehemiah and how they brought us messages of passionate leadership. Ezra, the shepherd, um, the pastor. Nehemiah, the passionate prophet, um, the fire, uh, the chutzpah. Uh, what, is, what does leadership look like when it takes on different forms? We talked about Haggai and how his message was we have to build. Like we just can't sit here and build our own lives. We have to make sure that we build our lives with God as well. And we have our priorities out of whack, so it's time to build. We talked about Zechariah and the idea of apocalyptic literature. We talked about how apocalyptic literature worked and what it was. And and then we talked about 4th Isaiah, which was that message of hope. And, of course, ending with that one last prophet of Malachi who led us in this Q&A discourse. And with that conversation, we concluded our walk through the Hebrew Scriptures. And... um, and that led us to the silent years. Yeah, so we have this 400-year period of history where we have no biblical text. Right. We have no uh, no official record as far as uh, God's word, but we do have uh, we do have some history that we can pull from. We see this uh, focus on the text. They got carted off to Babylon, and they said, "Why did this happen?" And they said, "It's because we lost the text. We didn't know our scriptures. We didn't know how." 
uh, to show God that we loved him and that we were going to partner with him. So there, there was this immense focus on the text. So how do they do this? They developed the synagogue and education system. Uh, they, they set it up where the text is the central part of the synagogue. Uh, Jewish children started going through the text and memorizing it from age five. It was the absolute center of their lives. And as they progressed, they learned, and uh, some children wouldn't be quite good enough to move on to the next level, so they would go and learn their parents' trade. Uh, but the text was absolutely a part of every Jewish child's life from an early age. They memorized it. They know it so much better than we do. It's fairly embarrassing. And then we also see these five different responses to Hellenism. Alexander the Great comes into power, and he starts spreading this uh, this culture of Hellenism. And so we see the uh, Sadducees, we see the Herodians, we see the Essenes, and we see the Pharisees and the Zealots as a response to to uh, what Alexander the Great is doing in the world. That's right. So as you look at at this slide on your presentation, you'll notice what we have when we go through and we do the review in the future, which you'll notice, Brent, our capstone reviews are getting longer. <laughs> we're adding we're adding to the length of our review um, because we're covering more breadth of the story. So it's just it's just happening. Our capstones. Remember when our capstones were like fifteen minutes long? We're coming up on half an hour. Um, so those so, were the days. Yeah, those were the days. But so, as we talked about in in our episode zero, like the idea of uh, of truth in the Eastern world is that truth is unfolding. Absolutely. And we're, we're being revealed more and more truth as we go. And so that's exactly what we're experiencing. Well, and if I could wax eloquent for just a moment and just a moment, like, can you remember it, our listeners, like to all of our listeners, can you remember sitting back in session one, like eight episodes in drinking from the fire hydrant, trying to figure out how you would ever make sense of all of this. And now here we are over two-thirds of the way through the story, we've wrapped up the Gospels, and you have a general understanding of the narrative of the Scriptures? Like, what a great learning experience this has been and journey we've been on. It's been worth it. But you're right. When you look at this slide, uh, you're going to have a slide on your presentation that says Silent Years. Uh, you have two things there. Underneath Silent Years, you're going to see that that little subheading of of synagogue, and you're going to have Hellenism. Those are the two big ideas about uh, about about the silent years. Synagogue, just like Brent said, you have the return to the text and you have uh, a new educational system. Under synagogue, return to the text and a new educational system. And then we have Hellenism and you you see five responses there. And Brent outlined all five of those responses. You did have the Sadducees and the Herodians. You had the Essenes in the desert. You had the you had the the Hasidim and the Pharisees and the Zealots up north. And that allowed us to understand what we were doing before we walked into the Gospels. Because even though those were four hundred quote unquote silent years, and we always put silent years in quotes because they're really not silent at all. All kinds of things are happening in history. They just don't show up in the biblical story in that way. But now we're ready to walk into the Gospels. And so we do. We have four Gospels that we looked at. We looked at Matthew. We look at Mark. We looked at Luke. We looked at John. And we want to kind of go through and review. Just to close our review, let's review the the one-word theme association that we give to that um, to that gospel or two word theme in this case, in some of these cases, and then just kind of remember who is the author, who is the audience. Let's just review that really quickly to close us down. Uh, Matthew, uh, Brent, what was the theme that we had? 
theme was the mums or the idea of looking for the people on the margins and taking care of the outcasts, taking care of the alien, the orphan, the widow. Which made sense because Matthew was a? He's a Jewish gospel written to a Jewish audience. Okay. And his personal story was he was a? He was a tax collector. He, he was a mumser himself. Absolutely. So he understood this. And you're right. Jewish author to a Jewish audience. We had the gospel of Mark on the other hand, which we gave the theme Roman. We said Roman gospel. So Mark is about mumser. Excuse me. Matthew is about Mumser. Mark is about Roman. And Mark was, again, a Jewish author, but this time writing to a Roman audience and not a Greek audience, but a Roman, very specifically a Roman audience. And that led us to Luke. What did we say about Luke? Brent, what was our, what was our theme Luke for Luke? was a gospel of order, a, a potential parasha companion uh, right. to the, the reading of the Torah. Right. We used M.D. Goulder from Harvard, his theory in the book Evangelist Calendar, and we had that in there. And, and, and we said that Luke, it, Luke is a proselyte author, is, what my, is how I would word it. He's Gentile in origin, but Jewish in practice by the time he's following Jesus. And, and, uh, and he's writing to either a Gentile audience or, if Goulder is right, he's writing to a very, very Jewish audience in the middle of a synagogue. And that led us to our last gospel. Who was it, Brent? It was John with this idea of Shephela. Yeah. Is that the word we gave to it? Was Shephela? Uh, well, that's what I have in my notes. Well, I like that. I can't remember if it was Shephela or Blended Family. Oh, that might be that. Yeah. I might, I might have an old note here. Yeah, you might have an old note. I don't know. But uh, yeah, John, Gospel of John. I'm going to go with Blended Family for our review here. Blended Family being the word. This blend of Greek and and not Roman this time, but actually Greek and Jewish. You have this you have this Greek influx into a Jewish world, a Jewish church, or you could say it this way, you have a Jewish church invading a Greek world, either way you want to look at it. And John is writing a gospel tailored for that Greco-Jewish experience. We titled our John episode Grafted. Did we? We did Grafted, didn't we? So we better just stay with Grafted. We got all the different words. Those are all the different uh, variations we've had throughout Baymoth's history. Blended family. Yeah. Uh, grafted, Shvela, yep, all that. They all work. Everyone looking at the presentation can just be giggling at us because the presentation will say grafted. Right, right. By the time they, yeah, it's, uh, we'll look like real bums by the time we get there. <laughs> all right. Uh, so that's kind of where we've been. Um, so, uh, session, th- uh, four is coming up. We just wrapped up, wrapped up session three and session four is where we're heading next. Now, session four is up already. The intro has been launched on the same day. We always like to launch our intro to the next session on the same day that we launched the capstone of the last session. So session four is actually up and ready. So what we're going to be doing is going to be diving through the rest of the New Testament. That's what's on the docket for session four. We're going to go all the way from Acts all the way through Revelation. We're going to start in Acts. We're going to take a look at how Acts is. You remember how we called, what did we call Genesis 1 through 11, Brent? The preface. And then we said that Genesis 12 through 50 was the introduction. And we said that everything else was the, the narrative. So it'd be fitting that Acts would end up serving as our epilogue is what we're going to call Acts. And you're like, wait a minute, what about everything else? Well, hold on. We'll get there. That's exactly where we're headed in session four. But Acts is going to serve as our epilogue. So we need to wrap up this narrative. We have on our hands the narrative of God. And Acts is going to serve as that epilogue to that narrative. And then after we do that, we're going to take a look at all the rest of those letters in the New Testament and say, if that's the narrative, how do all these letters fit into that narrative of God? 
And so we'll look at every single letter in the New Testament. We won't do all verse by verse. We are going to do a walkthrough of some books uh, verse by verse. And uh, and we'll talk more about that in the intro to session four. But that's where we're headed in session four. We're going to finish up the New Testament, which means in session five, we'll be able to talk about church history. So a um, little change this go around, Brent, if anybody's been listening to us in real time. We don't have a summer schedule this summer or the upcoming summer or any summer that's coming on the calendar by the time this this podcast posts. We're now just going every week. As we get deeper and deeper into this journey and process, we have uh, new people coming in at the beginning all the time. And so by the time they get here, it doesn't matter. It's probably the middle of winter when they're when they're <laughs> getting right. here to the end of session three. So we're just, you know, we just post as we go. And the, the people who are caught up will appreciate that new episode every week. And uh, if, if you're starting from the beginning and getting to this years later, it doesn't matter anyway. Right. And, and while, we're, while we're saying that, a few things that uh, if anybody is catching up, um, uh, we stopped doing discussion groups on the Palouse. We actually have a couple volunteer-led discussion groups on the Palouse. As far as Marty's discussion groups, uh, we quit doing those a couple years ago. I have people writing me all the time that just started listening to session one. And they're like, I'm going to come to discussion group. And I'm like, don't. They're... <laughs> So now we got to get you connected to Kevin or to Tyler or one of the groups that are here on the Palouse, just like groups that are all around uh, the country. Speaking of which, should we just talk about groups now? Seems like a good segue. Let's do it. All right. Hey, uh, if you got a group out there, um, we have like some 66, 67 groups um, registered with us right now on our map. The whole thing's just kind of exploded. It's a little crazy. It's a little overwhelming for me personally, but they're on the map. And we know that there are groups out there that aren't on the map. If you're listening to this and you're not on the map, send us a message. Get yourself on the maps. We have launch groups that I'm sure have become full groups. Uh, help us update the map. Maybe you've moved and the map isn't even accurate anymore. If you're on the map, help us keep this thing uh, accurate. Help us keep this thing moving and working. Uh, I've tasked one of our friends here at Bayma JT, to send emails out to try to contact all of our groups. And uh, hardly anybody is writing him back. So if you're listening to this and JT reaches out to you, please respond to JT on behalf of Marty and Brent. Um, it helps us just know, like, how accurate is our map? How up to date is our map? Because we want to keep those things as real time as we possibly can. And if you're trying to start a group, hey, listen, we got a guide online. If you go to groups on our website, uh, we have a little hyperlink there for a really basic, it's not real deep, it's not super profound, but a basic guide on how to start a group. Uh, we can get you on the map. All we do is post a first name and an email address. We don't post uh physical addresses. We don't post any more information than that for all kinds of safety and security concerns. So just a first name and an email address. Um, so uh, that's how the map works. If you have any questions about that, you can let us know. What else we got, Brent? What else we talk about? Uh, well, and I guess I should say also, as far as groups, like if, if you've been on this journey for a while, like even if you don't necessarily need a discussion group for yourself, like being a resource for other people who are just starting the journey is a huge deal. And Absolutely. we're going to see a lot of this in session four as we go along, where uh, we have these communities of believers who are mostly Gentile, and they will have uh, references to Old Testament uh, scriptures that they're not going to understand. And so they're depending on their Jewish brothers and sisters who have that context, who have that scriptural knowledge to help lead them on this journey. So even if you don't need a discussion group yourself, like absolutely start one if there's not one in your area, just to help others through the journey. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of the website, while you're on there, check out our news link. We have a sub link there on our website titled news. If you click on that, it's going to give you uh, a, a few things when they're there. The first thing it's going to give you is an opportunity to sign up for the Baymont Messenger. It's our new newsletter. 
and uh, we we want you to get all the information you can. Baymon newsletter is going to have the messenger is going to have things like uh, things we want to highlight, upcoming trips or upcoming events or or ways that you can donate and give to the ministry. It's going to have stories from people all around the world that do Bema groups. I want I want to share their stories with all of you, so you can hear like you're not the only person that's experienced that. Or there's some really cool thing that God's doing in Guatemala or that you know whatever it is. I just got a message from somebody in Guatemala um, this week. So that was pretty cool. And and one this morning from somebody in the Philippines. So all over the globe, like it's crazy. And I want to share some of those stories. So that'll be in there. It's also going to tell you where I'm going to be. Um, I travel like all the time. And some of those trips are trips that you probably shouldn't join me on. But some of those trips are trips that you might be able to join me on and uh, are things you can be a part of. And so I want to tell you when I'm going to be somewhere that you could come uh, hang out with me and meet me or or be a part of something that we're doing, I want to be able to promote that. So the Baymont Messenger will get you all that information. That same link on the website is also where we're going to post anything that's really pertinent, like trip registrations. That will be on that uh, that link there, news. Um, we'll try to post any plans we have for upcoming trips as they come out. We'll we'll put information there because I get that email often, very, very often, weekly, um, about when our next trips are and those kind of things. So all that information can be posted there. Um, weekend events. I'm starting to do about twice a year, a spring and a fall weekend event. I want to start bringing those to an area near you. Um, all that stuff can be found on the news link there. So make sure that you're, uh, you're aware of that and pop it in there every now and then to see what's going on. And, um, and one last thing before we go, uh, we always talk about uh, at our capstone and in our intro podcast. We always take some time to talk about donations, and uh, we're still going strong as a ministry that is uh, support based. Um, we don't want to charge for the stuff that we do here at Bayma. We want it to be free. We want it to be a podcast. I really do believe that the study of Torah. Um, just as the Talmud says, the story of Torah should always be free. You should never have to pay money to study Torah uh, in any way, shape, or form, or the Gospels, or the New Testament, or the Bible in general. Let's keep that as free as possible. But that does mean that I have to find a way to to make that living if I'm not going to charge for that that kind of a product. Um, and there might come a day in the future. Everybody is always talking to me, Brent, about why don't you do a Patreon thing, and why don't you do this, and why don't you do that? Lots of wonderful ideas. Um, my job is a lot bigger than Bema. Bema is just a slice of it. And so there might be some of that in our future, maybe someday. But for now, uh, we work off of support. And I want to highlight one thing, uh, especially here, talking about support and donation. And that is how uh, this guy over here that helps me publish this thing, this, this guy named Brent Billings that everybody wants to hear more from, uh, uh, I would love – Brent has given years of his time to this podcast. He's the one that does all the production. He does all the website. He does all the map creation. All, anything technical, Marty's not touching that. Marty's touching the content. Marty's touching the poetry. Marty's not touching anything technical. That's all Brent's neighborhood. And uh, he does all of that volunteer uh, basis. I would love to be able to get to a place – um, and we are starting to get close to seeing a future where we have uh, the revenue coming in that we could start paying Brent for the work that he does uh, for our ministry here at Bayma. Because uh, Brent does this completely pro bono, completely volunteer. Um, and, and we want to change that in the future. So if you wanted to support that effort, um, there's lots of things you can give money to. Uh, but I would challenge you to use that donate link and give to Bayma Ministry. You can support 
uh, Marty Solomon, and you can support our family. That's that's fine. You can support the general fund. That's great. That's awesome. You should do that. But I'm really challenging our listeners out there. Uh, if they wanted to give to Bay Mom Ministry specifically, you could help the work that we do here, right here with the podcast, and help make this more and more of a better reality for the future. So that's my ask, Brent. I think that's all I got for the capstone lesson. Sounds great. What? <laughs> A little over 40 minutes. I mean, whatever. It's getting longer. Can you imagine the capstone of session five? Oh, baby, buckle up. All right. Well, I, we, I think we told you everything you need to know. Just go to baymondestablishment.com. Everything that we talked about is going to be right there for you. So thanks for joining us on the Baymond Podcast, session three. We'll talk to you in just a moment for session four. <laughs> <laughs>